This episode of the Oh No 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 podcast is sponsored by Dynamic Industrial Services, the rope access specialists. As long-time Wraith Rover supporters, we are very familiar with ropey performances. But if you need a service that's more Sam Stanton than Willie Accio, look no further than DIS. Operating across Scotland, they specialise in working at height, offering maintenance, inspection, repairs and more. So if you've got a problem at a height that even John Fredrickson can't reach, visit dynamicindustrialservices.co.uk to find out more. can see the reaction. I'm not sure what time they're giving the medals out at, but the celebrations will be pretty good by the sounds of it. Those are the words of Detective Inspector Jim Goodwin of the Fun Police last night, echoing those of Special Constable James McPake earlier in the season. Now, my words for you, Jim, would be that it's very simple. If you don't like seeing and hearing the rovers going tonto, why don't you just try beating us? Welcome back to the Oh No 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 podcast, where the doom and gloom of the last few weeks has been blutered into the abyss by the searing right boot of Scott Brown. Uh, I am Duncan Cameron, and to continue going daft from last night for the next three or four hours, uh, today I'm joined by uh, Blair Hopcroft, first of all. Uh, I, I don't think I even need to ask. How are you, Blair? Buzzing, mate. I'm absolutely buzzing. Excellent, fantastic. Uh, I've also got Robbie Weir too. How are you, mate? Fantastic. Absolutely delighted after last night and um, looking forward to going over the game. Me too. Uh, we've got Leslie Maybon too. How are you, Les? Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> That, that, there was a slight delay there, I tell you this, it was absolutely worth waiting for. Um, and also, rounding us off for today, we've got Scott Fleming too. How are you, Scott? So good and so much better after last night. I said just the uh, just what the doctor ordered. Um, right, let's, uh, let's waste no more time. Let's start picking through this one because there was some very, very fun stuff to go through. But we'll start where we... Uh, Start where we usually start. Let's get into lineups and the fact that Ian Murray just absolutely will not do what anybody expects of him at absolutely any point. Uh, Scott, you and I in particular, we talked on Thursday night about how do you get all these guys into the midfield and kind of very controversially, I was like, oh, I'd take Lewis Vaughan out and you decide you'd take Sean Byrne out. So obviously Ian Murray decided to go the other way and he took Scott Brown out of that. Um but just generally, give me your thoughts, Scott, on that kind of lineup when we saw it. And um, I suppose Callum Smith was probably the other one that was maybe the, the not a surprise, but that we maybe didn't expect. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But we, as we said the other night, it was always going to happen. He would find a way to 
go against what we've been saying. <laughs> it's just, I don't know how he does it. He must let. He must listen go, right, they've thought that, so I'm going to have to go this way. And it's just, it's, it's definitely going to do what these time. clowns think, which is fair. <laughs> but uh, I must say, I did not expect Brown to be one of the guys that would be left out. I thought, not just because he's captain, I just thought he's been playing quite well, even though we've not been in the best of form. I still think he, he is a leader on the pitch and just somebody that's an organiser and... He talks well, but he's also just a really good player. So I was a little bit surprised that he was the one to to miss out. But uh, obviously, we'll talk about him later on. And I agree, yeah, Callum Smith, a little bit left field. Well, in the fact that I think everybody thought it would probably be Easton or Connolly out of that. But the fact that he's went with Smith, he obviously must have thought Smith can give him maybe a little bit more work rate than somebody like an Easton and that Easton might be worthwhile just throwing on with 25-30 to go. But, yeah, I think the team, I wasn't disappointed with the team. I thought it was a pretty good team to go with. Uh, yeah, it was a case of what was it going to be, burn on his own with Stanton a bit forward, or was it going to be the two of them, uh, which kind of ended up being a bit of both because Stanton does what Stanton does and just runs everywhere and covers so much ground. Yeah, the... Um... The BBC I saw they they've sort of laid it out as a four four two, and actually, you might you might as well. I think that, that's that's fairly representative of, of what we saw. Um, I wonder how much that was informed by the absence of um, Ross Doherty. We talked about that midweek, and I think that's where maybe you you kind of get away with not having Scott Brown. Because there was no dig in their midfield at all. There, there was there was other aspects of it that we'll come on to where I think they, they actually did pretty well, given they didn't have anybody who can tackle at all in the middle of the park. But um, I wonder if that helped kind of make that decision. Um, Robbie, how about you? How did you feel kind of going at that one once we saw who was um, who was playing for for both teams, I suppose. Well, we had. James Brown came in and he acquitted himself really well. Seemed to slot right into the defence. I think having that extra week where I know that he's not been training for the full week, but he's bedded in very well into that defence and looked reasonably solid. The main change for me was the return of the king, uh, Sam Stanton. And he looked like he had not missed a single minute since. He was absolutely imperious in the middle of the park just especially in that first half he controlled the game so well and we looked completely different as a side with Sam Stanton which I know that a lot of people expected but very very good to see and will give all of our support so much reason for optimism going forward um, other major changes I mean Smith and uh, Mullen on the wings bit surprised by that wasn't too certain if that was maybe the right call, but of course he Murray's made it and you go with what he's done and they both equipped themselves reasonably well. And um, to go with Rudden up top ahead of Jack Hamilton seemed a bit of a surprise. Um, Hamilton's been in form, Rudden's, he's uh, been in and out of the squad with injuries, but yeah, it paid off uh, very, very quickly, which I'm sure we will come on to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, where with the, the benefit of hindsight, I think he more or less got all those decisions right. Or is there anyone that you think probably actually, having watched that last night, that there could have been a 
any changes with those? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question, actually, because before the game, for me, there was the the three kind of question marks, I suppose, was the Burnover Brown, um, which, to me, I, I, I'm happy either way. I, I've got to be honest, I, I said that, I was l- listening to you guys midweek, um, and I was texting there as I was listening to it, and I was like, I kind of agree, but I think it's either Burn or Brown. I don't think there's room with Stanton to play both of them at the moment, so I was quite happy with that. Um, Rudden over Hamilton, I'll be honest, I wasn't happy with um, it, it before kickoff. I thought it was, I got why he was trying to do it, and actually, I mean, it clearly paid dividends, so um, I think he was absolutely um, kind of vilified with that one. Um, the one for me that I had big question marks on, and it's been mentioned already, was Smith on the left. Um, I don't think that was necessarily fruitful in any way, shape or form. I don't think it's anything against Callum Smith. He worked really hard and he, he did what he did, but um, he just seems to lack the ability to get past a man. Um, there was one point in the first half where they had a really loose pass um, and the ball kind of ends up with Smith and he's kind of breaking up the left and he tries to beat um, Grimshaw and basically just kicks the ball against his legs and then loses possession. And it's those things of when you look at what separates the the top sides in the league from, from the rest is punishing mistakes. Like it's that thing of, um, you know, any mistake, no matter how small, you, you try and kind of create something from it. Um, and I did feel that, that Smith was maybe the one that... Um, didn't pay off as much but in saying that I'm not entirely convinced that Connolly or Easton would have given us much more in that first half the way that the game kind of panned out I don't think it actually I don't think it really was a a bearing on the game um, if I'm honest but it was a I thought it was a bit of a strange one when you've got so many players who can play in that position I mean Callum Smith in his last three appearances for us has played left wing back up front and now left midfield like there's a wee bit of me thinking, like, give the guy a chance. Like, how's he supposed to actually ever get a run of form if he never plays in the same position for more than seventeen minutes at a time, sort of thing? But yeah, it was. Um, I it was a strong squad, obviously, to pick from, which is a, a massive bonus. Like, and Sam Stanton coming back is oh, you saw it last night, game changer, massive. I am. Um, I'm going to come back to Callum Smith in a little bit, and I think that this is. I think of everybody who who's been on the pod, I think I'm. I'm the, the kind of biggest Callum Smith fan. Um, and so I will come back and talk about what I think he brought to that game that I don't think, as you say, you would have got from necessarily a uh, Connolly or an Easton or someone like that. But um, going into the the game itself then, I mean, it was a fairly <clears throat> a fairly kind of scrappy start, really, that there, there wasn't a... Um, it wasn't a game that settled down particularly um, kind of quickly. But, Leslie, there are probably two two big moments in the first half that we'll, I'll ask for your thoughts on. So there's a, a good early save from Kevin Dubrovsky, but then um, yeah, anything you want on that and then just take us uh, straight into the goal, please. I mean, I think before before we kind of get to the, the Dubrovsky save as well, I'm going to pick up the first Zach Rudden chance as well. So I, like, like Blair, I was a bit kind of like, hang on, um, you know, why is Hamilton not starting? This is a bit of a, a bit of a, an odd choice. But it was vindicated pretty quickly when uh, Zach Rudden zipped away. I mean, he's got, for, for a big lad, he's got a fair turn of pace. And he zipped away and forced a very, very good save out of Walton. 
and I thought, actually, hang on, we could be on to something here. Then, you know, can't mind off the top of my head whether it was before or after, but Kevin Dubrovsky pulled a fabulous save out. Um, I was watching this at, at home on TV. Tony Watt got some space. I'm thinking, oh, no, this is absolutely what we do not want. BBC Scotland, the chicken celebration, one of the great characters of Scottish football, yada, yada, yada. Thankfully, Big Kev was having none of that and got down and made a fantastic save from uh, the big flat track bully. So that was a, that was a fabulous save, as much as from the who it came from as is anything else. I did kind of think, hang on, we could be in a, in a lot for a long for a long night here uh, when, when, that, when that happened. And you know, it was, clearly wasn't all plain sailing. However, we then pretty soon after uh, got our um, got our goal, which was, uh, aye, again, well worked. And just before we came on air, uh, Graham had been saying in our, in our wee WhatsApp, when did Liam Dick turn to Lewis Strap? And I, I was kind of thinking, like, so in, the, in the two weeks since the last game, I've got this vision in my head now of, of Liam Dick training on his own like Rocky Four in the mountains with weights and a medicine ball in like a, a wee barn just throwing medicine balls as far as he can and with a, with a picture of Lewis Strap pasted to the wall like a, like a Dolph Lundgren in Rocky Four to kind of get himself uh, wired up because he's I don't know where this has come from but he started doing excellent throw-ins and he, he did one of these and came back out and then to be fair to Dick, and I have I've really slated Liam Dick in, in previous weeks for his ability to put balls in, but he put a lovely ball in. Great presence of mind for Zach Rudden to to knock that over the, the keeper. Um, and we found ourselves 1-0 up. So, yeah, a, a great, great start to the game. And again, it kind of it was a pattern that we'd see for a lot of the rest of the game in to end. I, um, I do wonder if that's something that the, the club have called out to focus on because there was quite a few balls into the box where we fizzed it right across. I know Josh Mullen had one in the first half where I said to my friend, it was like the Zidane volley at Hamden, but instead of Roberto Carlos's brilliant cross, it was Zidane's finish that was just getting pelted across because he hit it that quickly. But um, yeah, it did seem like we focused on long throws and uh, Jim Goodwin's called this out in his interview saying that we're very direct and use of long throws. Apparently, just Jim Goodwin's teams don't handle long throws. So if you're an SPFL championship manager and you're playing against Dundee United, here's a wee tip. Find a player that's good at throwing the ball long, chuck it in the box, and you'll have a good laugh. See, just for clarity, if we're not allowed to celebrate, we're not allowed to score late on, and we're not meant to take long throws, what are we allowed to do at this point? Because it's getting a little bit kind of like... Do you know I mean? No, like football is not, not really a massively complicated game, but we seem to be having all these extra caveats on what we're meant Jim, to do. Jim now. Goodwin, the man renowned as being a shithouse of a player, is now very invested in the Corinthian spirit of football, is all I'm <laughs> taking from this. So, I just, uh, Jim, I mean, listen, we talked about it on Thursday, and I'm going to keep talking about it from, from constantly. And I know uh, Ian Lato's already invoked the, uh, the Goodwin factor. Which is effectively that he just cannot cope under pressure. He just can't can't do big games. Love it. Um, and it's brilliant, fun, and and good to watch. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Like for a guy who spent his playing career just elbowing folk in the chops constantly, to come out after games and just be so sort of torn faced, and like he, he he seems like the kind of guy who should be able to just kind of front up and be like, ah, listen, that was 
appalling. But he's not. He's constantly looking for these excuses. And the best one definitely was in the game by Martin at Tanadice. And he was like, oh, they came and they bullied us. Like, yeah, that's Greenock Martin. What did you expect? Who? Water is wet. Not... You're Jim Goodwin. Like, yeah. Like, have you not been paying attention since 1893 or whenever it is Martin were founded? Like, that's what they'll come and do. And then, I mean, all right, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but while we're on it, he's great about this throwing at the end. Oh, where God, he's God. like, well, they did they take the throwing for the right place. Like, right, but it was a, a strike for 30 yards, though. Like, yeah. it wasn't like we threw the ball into the goal. The... No, it was the third phase of play after the throw-in. Like, exactly. there was plenty of opportunity to deal with it before that. <laughs> Just, like, that kind of almost childish reaching for excuses where he'll yeah. just point at anything as opposed to taking any kind of responsibility and he should be well practiced at it but because he loses every big game he manages and, um, and it's really juxtaposed as well when you look at Murray because we're off the back of a five game losing streak and not once in any one of his interviews post match has he made an excuse, not one time and there was plenty of things he could have moaned a little bit about we could have got a decision here we, but he was very much like we had our chances we never took them or we didn't play well enough or that back three really didn't work like dead kind of honest the main thing and he took was he said, he said uh, we we were getting the luck earlier on the season so I'm not going to complain about being unlucky yeah. now and that for me summed up very very nicely for me and Murray but I will, I'm sure we'll come back to, to Jim Goodwin and Dundee United and the, their fan base and um, if we can spend a bit of time talking about Jim Spence as well um, later on I'll add that to my notes right, thank you on. just re Jim Spence good thank <laughs> you um, right, so let's uh, let's get back to the game again I hardly talked about this goal um Scott, give me your thoughts on that goal, please. Uh, and we should probably mention the uh, the possibility of an offside in there. I don't know how apparent that was. Um, did you watch the was it the race TV footage that you were watching? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I was watching it. that. Yeah, yeah a good angle on that. I mean, uh, I had I actually switched over to BBC for after the goal because they had showed obviously slightly different angles. And on BBC, it did look as if it was a, a little bit offside. But, I mean, Ruddon was also, well, towards where the linesman was on the other side. He's like the other side of his man, probably kind of hard to see. So had the linesman been on the other side, I think it might have been given. But, uh, no, from, from the, the throwing again, Liam Dix launched it into the box. Again, we're all going, where's this been half the season? That he can uh, just launch it into the box to Halton or whatever, but and it came back out to him, and then you're going right. Whatever you do, just put it in a good place in the box. Just do some instead of just blasting it over or whatever we've been doing a lot of the time. Just take your time, and he actually kind of almost rushed it a wee bit. I thought, I thought, oh god, he just hit it at the front post, and then Rodden's managed to get in front of his man and just that death flick right over the keeper, and I went. Please be under the bar, please be under. And it's clipped the bar and then gone in, and then yeah, obviously it's just bedlam. And Rudd, you could tell Rudden loved that goal right in front of Dundee United fans. He's away, he's looking at the whole North Stand, and then he goes, Oh, there's more he is than here. <laughs> and just wheeled away there. But no, it was it was brilliant. And to, again, it was 
before the 10 minute mark as well so it was like right we've got an early goal we've seen this picture a few times recently let's screw the nut and then yeah it was a perfectly timed goal and just I, I'm kind of glad for Rudden because I think if he'd went I know he's only played a couple of games but if he'd started going a few games with a goal then folk are going well why is he playing ahead of Hamilton but I think he uh, he justified his early uh, team place uh, with that goal I think um, as well, you could probably say, like, even on the balance of the game last night, it did. I think United figured him out quite well in the sense that they could see that he was the main man that we were trying to get the balls up to, and that Lewis Vaughan, they could handle Lewis Vaughan in the air cause, just because of physical features. Um, and that's not a slight against Louis in the slightest. Uh, whereas with Rudden, they struggled initially at first, and then he, he went quite quiet later on. But like you say, Scott, I think that's a very good point. If he can nick in and get one chance and score one goal like that, then nobody's going to complain. Nobody's going to say it. They're going to say, oh, it's good against Dundee United. You remember the goal. You don't remember the other bits of the performance, really. So, aye, fair play to him. Really good finish. Yeah, and I thought um, his movement was very good. And um, we're delighted to see uh, Jamie Gullen scored for Dundalk last night yeah. an excellent free kick finish yeah. and I'm I'm going to draw a comparison and I don't mean to be critical when I'm doing it but we talked a lot about Jamie Gullen and his movement and he would go wide and, it, and sometimes when he was playing as the striker he wasn't kind of where you would want him to be I thought what Rudden did was what I would hope we would have seen more from Jamie Gullen if that makes sense but yeah. his, his movement was very good and there was times when he was going out wide. Um, we'll come on, we'll talk about those kind of two Mullen chances. There's the one, as you said, Robbie, where he kind of fires it across the goal. The other one, when he goes clean through, comes from Rudden kind of going out wide and he turns that ball really, really well done. And it's that it's knowing when to go wide, when to drag yeah. a Kevin Holt or a Ross Graham away and create that space. And I think that's what the Dundee fans told us we were getting. It's a striker who... He's not out and out. He's not going to go and score, you know, 30 goals a season. Nobody's loaning those guys out, but he will. He'll create space, and that's absolutely what he did, um, you know, on top of his goal. And, um, yeah, Blair, just to kind of give me your thoughts then on that, I suppose probably maybe the first half hour, actually, because we've got sort of the goal, and then after that, as you Mullen, and it's really just from kind of good pressure from the Rovers. They kind of force mm-hmm. an error out of the defender. Mullen gets the shot across. Then Mullen goes clean through and, and um, I mean, the keeper makes a good save. It's quite close to him. Just generally, that first half hour, did you think that was... Uh, were the Rovers kind of on top, in your opinion? Um, I think that's an interesting one because it depends how you kind of define on top. Um, they obviously had a couple of early chances. Um, so did we. But um, I'd say they had the probably the lion's share of the possession, but didn't really offer a huge amount with it. Um, so I think as a it's, it's a funny one, because I think as a United fan, you'd be sitting there and thinking, we're on top here, we're all right, we've got the ball, we're kind of controlling things. Um, but they looked a wee bit more kind of vulnerable. Um, I mean, I, I said on the podcast when we signed Rudden, um, my literal <laughs> feeling on it was meh. Um, and I, I'm going to go ahead and take it back now um, already because what he offers us is something different to what we have which is really important and you're right I, I was meh because I didn't think he was going to chip in with an awful lot of goals 
And I still don't think he'll chip in with an awful lot of goals. I think you're right. But he's he's a bit nasty, isn't he? He's he's got that kind of horrible streak in him, and I like it because he he I, I tell you something, if you offered those two centre halves last night playing against Rudden or playing against Gullen, they take Gullen every day. Um because Rudden is he's he's I'm gonna say he's he's rotten in the air. He he can't <laughs> header a ball. But every single time he makes his centre half win the header. There's no easy headers against them. Do you know what I mean? Which is ultimately all you can ask for for somebody who isn't like a Jack Hamilton, who isn't particularly like really strong in the air. Um, so no, the opening half an hour, I thought I, I'm going to say this now. I thought United were actually really quite good. Um, I thought their movement, the, the seemingly lack of a formation, it was bizarre. And it took us about 15, 20 minutes for the back four to kind of really cotton on. That early, um, the very first shot on goal um, for the left back um, came from just this rotation of players moving around and us getting kind of dragged all over the place. Um, Fotheringham dropping in, Witherspoon playing as a centre half at times and then coming up and popping up in the right, right wing and then the left wing. There was so much kind of fluid movement for them. Um, Tony Watt dropping deep, Lewis Moult pushing wide. It was just this constant movement that it took us a while to realise you can't follow your man. You're, you're going to have to hold your ground, pass him on to the next guy. Kind of Sean Byrne took a wee while to kind of cotton on here to come in and kind of help out. But once we kind of got set with that, um, I did I did think we looked pretty likely. Um, and the 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 two chances that Mullen had. I mean, one comes from Ross Doherty, just inability to to clear a ball. It's not Doherty, is it? You're looking at me with that face. It's not Doherty. He wasn't playing. It's not Doherty. He wasn't playing. Ross Graham. Ross Graham. Thank you. Oh my God! Why can I not do names? Um, so Ross Graham's inability to clear a ball, um, and Mullen obviously pounces on it, and it's a good effort. In all fairness, it was a really good effort aiming for that bottom left hand corner, um, and. I mean, <laughs> Rudden's going mental at the back post, but there's nobody crossing a ball there, like, away in Rattle. Not happening. Um, the second one, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head, Duncan. Really good play for Rudden to pull wide, draw the man in, and then just on the half turn, just hooks the ball through, and um, Mullen's away. I think Mullen had done a fair bit of running in that half, and I think he knew himself. He didn't have the legs to take a touch and bearing on goal and beat the man kind of thing so I think he thought I I'm, I need to take this early before the keeper sets himself and he's just a bit unfortunate really good technique actually but just a bit unfortunate that he plays it right at the keeper's legs I think had it been a yard either side um, would have probably been 2-0 up at that point but I thought it was a really entertaining first half actually a really good because I think that wasn't the story of the second half I think it became quite scrappy. It became quite stop-start. But the first half, um, from a neutral's point of view, must have been a decent watch, I would think. Um, yeah. But no, I was I was really pleased with how we kind of acquitted ourselves. And the back four in particular, like Keith Watson, just, I mean, you said it the other day, like, he's, an, he's the known-known. You know, you know exactly what you're getting, and so does you and Murray. And, ah, oh, more of that. I loved it. I said um, in the group chart, it must have been quite a cathartic experience for Keith Watson. Because, I mean, I doubt anyone says it personally to him in the club, but like you get people that are sort of saying, 
oh, that's that. And we were guilty of it ourselves. You'd like say, oh, three-week injury, and then it keeps rolling on, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it becomes longer term. You get people that are coming out like, oh, is he finished? Why have we not got another centre-back in? Yeah. Like, all this sort of chat. And that'll feed its way through, and I've absolutely no doubt. I know that he's not really to my knowledge on the socials or things like that but it definitely feeds through so to, for him to come in and put in that performance and show to everyone like I'm still here by the way there's a reason we're not signing another centre back there's a reason Ian Murray's been very very patient um, and it's the same I said that in our group chat there's a journalist that's been linking Lee Ashcroft uh, to Dunfermline um, saying that that's a, likely a, a loan deal that's going to happen that's going to be absolutely irrelevant for us now if Keith Watson has 13 more games like that because Boy. he'll be a standout player. So, aye. Yeah, I thought the the kind of... I think it was that very first chance um, with Tony Watt. It's either that or it's the one, as you say, where the, um, McMahon gets a shot away. Mm. It was relatively early doors. It was the only time, really, in the whole game where the Rovers back four were pulled about a little bit. Mm. They really settled down after that. And, and as you say, Blair... There's loads of movement in that Dundee United team. But the Rovers back four, really in stark contrast to the, the last couple of games. And I don't think um, the influence of, you know, the, the hardest working right back in show business, James Brown, can be <laughs> like understated there. It was like a, a, real, a real classic back four performance. Just solid, never crossed, you know, one another's lanes almost. Yeah. Like the left back was just left backing all night. Your centre halves stuck to their roles. The right backs doing the same thing. Defenders that defend. Exactly, and, and that's it. It's just rock solid. And then, as you you talk about the midfield, I thought that was the the one big sort of tactical thing that Jim Goodwin tried. He's got this big problem with Ross Dockery, as I said already. He's the only midfielder in that entire squad who can tackle. It was a little bit like us last year when we only had Scott Brown. Yeah. And uh, there was that thing kind of, um, I mean, it was a, it was a kind of pie and ball roll thing, but the, we went to Fur Hill and before we knew Scott Brown was missing and everybody was like, we're going to get overrun in the midfield. Everybody, because we were like, there's nobody who can tackle. And then all the Vessel fans are like, oh, come on, you're just, you know, like trying to play down your chances. And then we Scott just go Brown overrun must the be midfield. the best player in the league, they were saying. <laughs> ah, exactly. <laughs> and... Uh, I think Dundee United are a little bit like that. So with Ross Dockery missing, Jim Goodwin's got to kind of square that circle somehow. And what he does is he puts David Witherspoon in as a nominally as a central midfielder. And I mean, he's definitely not going to tackle. He's definitely not going to do that at all. Yeah. And in the first kind of 10, 15 minutes, I was looking at it and I was like, you know, I hope they don't put David Witherspoon on. This is, you know, like it didn't look like he'd done anything. And then start to realise exactly what he is doing, which is, as you say, basically playing in a free role. And this is where I'm going to launch my um, impassioned defence of Callum Smith. In the first half in particular, Wotherspoon was peeling off onto that side. So Liam Dick is marking uh, Fotheringham. And Callum Smith knows he's supposed to be on Grimshaw. And Wotherspoon's standing next to him constantly, just peeling off on that side. And you can see Callum Smith with his arms out, shouting and bawling at Sam Stanton and at Sean Byrne. Like, look, one of you needs to be here. But that's so difficult to do because 30 seconds later, Wotherspoon's appearing on the other side. 
And as I think, I thought Calum Smith in particular did really, really well. Given that that's not his game, to do all that hard work, just tracking extra men coming into his area. Um, and that was how it looked to me in that first half. If anything was going to happen, there was a two two angles that Dundee United had. One was getting Wotherspoon on the ball, and the other one was when uh, Kevin Holt was basically just running out of the defence, which is always a, a tricky one to kind of manage. And um, it is actually it's a bit of pressure from kind of Wotherspoon getting involved further up the park that eventually sort of leads to the corner. But that, and... Um, yeah, just just I thought that was a real. It's actually, I mean, it's quite bold and it's an it's an interesting one from Jim Goodwin. And to be fair, I think actually pattern of the game wise, it worked quite well. If you compare it to the game at Tannadice, where he had the same problem and they played that uh, Jordan Tilson yeah. next to Sibold, and he was garbage. Like he was just really, really poor. Didn't get involved, and they got overrun. It was the uh, big change though. Was the it was the the the. Fotheringham for me was the one that I did not see that coming. I expected him to do the Middleton role on the other side. Like Middleton just hugs that touchline. He doesn't really move. He doesn't really come inside. He's mm. there to cross balls. That's that's his job. And I kind of saw Fotheringham is going to be doing the same thing, and he wasn't at all. Because I mean, both of their good chances come from Fotheringham being involved in the box, basically. You know, the little touch down to um, to Molt. Um, and then there was the he was involved in the one that went to to Watt as well, I think. Um, and it is that thing of he drifts in, and nobody's picking him up, and it's it's hard because do you expect your left midfielder to drop in? Is Sean Byrne coming in? That's where having the one holding midfielder probably leaves us a little bit vulnerable. It was just the sheer numbers that they had and the fluid kind of movement. But um, yeah, it was. It was an odd one, but Fotheringham looks ten times the player he was when he was with us on loan. Like he looks so, so much better than he did when he was with us. And I know he was young, but he's really kicked on. Yeah, that's and that's um again to talk about something we've talked about a lot recently. Sam Stanton is a huge a, a huge bonus yeah. when you're trying to do that. Because it, it's it's like we've said it enough times. Because he just does everything all at once. <laughs> You can do that where you've got, yeah, Sean Byrne is sort of nominally your holding midfielder and then Sam Stanton's three other midfielders all in one. Yeah. And um, that, yeah, I, I don't think we cope with that fluidity anywhere near as well if we don't have Sam Stanton in there somewhere. We just Agreed. don't. Even if you play Scott Brown, who's, you know, a better defensive midfielder, I just don't think you're able to cope with that kind of dynamism. Um, yeah half as well and it's a real um, like attack is the best form of defence approach from Dundee United which in the first half um, meant there were chances for, for both sides um, obviously we'll, we'll come on to the second half but before we get there they did get the equaliser um, comes from a corner kick um, Les give me your thoughts on, on this one please it's one of these ones I mean I'm always a bit reluctant to kind of break down something like that and say, oh, this man should have picked something up. Because I think at that point, you could see, you know, on the balance of play, they were going to get a goal by hook or by crook. 
Nonetheless, you know, at the time I was more than a wee bit grumpy because we're still statistically at something like 33% of our goals coming, like that we've conceded coming from set pieces and like about a quarter of the goals we concede seem to be corners from our, um, our left or the opposition's right. So just seeing that happen again for the umpteenth week running was more than a, a wee bit annoying. And I do hope that, you know, with Watson back and with Brown being in the team now, that we might start to settle down and get a bit of discipline. You know, we're, I think we're now at the 16th or 17th game where we've had a, a different uh, a different back four. Hopefully we're going to get that settled down now. Um, so, yeah, you know, Ross Graham peels off, gets a, the barges dick out the way or wherever it was, gets the header away and it's straight into the corner. And it's a scene that we have just seen so many times this season and, and, and last season. Uh, so, but as, as I say, I mean, I think it wasn't against the run of play by any means. Had that not gone in, I think they'd, they'd had other chances. We couldn't have grumbled too much with them, uh, with them getting that equaliser. Um, what I then thought was, oh God, don't concede another one because that's, that's my other bugbear is us conceding goals in quick succession. And so my, my immediate thought was, okay, that's rubbish. That's really, really bad. Let's not lose another one uh, immediately after. But yeah, we're, we're, we're at something like, I've, I've got a running total, something like a quarter of the goals we concede are corners from that side. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a definitely a weak point. And, and I mean, it's, it's a very good delivery. Um, yeah. Robbie, did you think there might have been a foul in there? Uh, you look at the screenshots. I, I did enjoy the, the recent Vox Pop that was like STV News or something talking about VAR. And the guy goes... Um, it makes a peck in the cheek look like a porno. And <laughs> I think that it's very similar when you do sort of screen grabs of Louis Moat's got his arm across. I can't remember who it was that was marking him. Um, but he's got his arm across, like just completely bodying him out of the way. It's one of these ones, six and a half a dozen. It's very, some referees will maybe stop it. Others will just keep going. But some games you get the breaks, some games you don't. I don't think it was a foul in the build-up to the corner. My folk about me were going a bit tonto about that, but I think the ball was well away by the time that yeah, uh, Sean Byrne was down on the deck. And, yeah, I, Leslie summed it up really nicely. I think that a goal had been coming. It doesn't come too out the blue, um, and it wasn't against the run of play. But as well we did the important thing, which was we got to half-time and kept it a draw and reset. And you do have a lot more faith in this back line than maybe previous iterations of back lines that we've had before um, over the last few months. So it's been mentioned, but if we can get a consistency in that, then fingers crossed, because that's the main thing that's worked for Dundee United so well. They've had that back line that you can name off pretty much time and time again. So if we can get that for 13 games, then see what happens and um, Scott uh, kind of two questions and one really for you did you feel like the Rovers were kind of hanging on for half time a little bit and then kind of going into the first sort of 15 minutes of the second half I mean did it feel like the sort of the tide had turned a little bit in terms of the pattern of the game yeah I mean I think I had actually put into the group chat saying that we looked like we needed half time uh, just that as Les has touched on it we do seem to especially in recent weeks like conceding a couple of goals quite quickly and so it it was a little bit of worry I mean the good thing was that it was I can't remember the exact minute of the goal but it, 
it was only about ten minutes to half time, roughly. So it was like five minutes that. So it wasn't it wasn't that long to hold on. And I just thought, right, let's whether a wee bit of storm here, get in, reset, get uh, Murray will have a chat with them and see what goes on. But the second half, then, yeah, it kind of continued a little bit. Not, I didn't think they were absolutely battering the door down Dundee United, but it was they they had most of the possession in that sort of first 15, 20 minute period. But and then a couple of corners and stuff like that. But I, I still didn't think that I was too worried. I thought we just need to. One thing I did notice a lot of the time, and it was a little bit of a bugbear, was the fact that we had the two midfielders, whereas they had Craig Sibbled on his own. I know Witherspoon was playing centrally, but he's not a central midfielder. Yeah. But they were the ones that seemed to be taking the ball down and controlling it. And I thought, this is what we should be doing, really. And eventually we started to do that, and that's when, obviously, we went on to start creating a couple of chances, get a few corners and stuff like that, and come back into it. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure one of you guys will go on to it. The substitutions that came on later, that completely changed the game. Yeah, the, the the thing with the first 15 minutes of that second half, really until Hamilton comes on, the big contrast for me from the first half to the second half was Ross Graham, who was playing in uh, central defence for Dundee United. Now, he got the big header for the goal. I think he obviously took confidence from that. But in the first half, when they were knocking the ball about, I thought he looked really uncomfortable. Like, he, he didn't want it. And, you know, quite naturally, they had a fair bit of the ball. And he was constantly just trying to shuffle it either side. Like, did not want it. Didn't want it at his feet. Every time it came to him, it was just straight to Grimshaw, straight to Holt. And in the second half, right at the beginning, he was just putting his foot on the ball, looking around, picking passes into the midfield that he hadn't done. And it was like that, you know, the energy and the press had just dropped off a little bit and it was giving them a, a foothold in that game. And they didn't they didn't really create an awful lot, but just in terms of the, the way that in the first half we were breaking out a little bit and we forced some chances. In that early period, I think we, we just didn't. But um, Ian Murray, I mean, relatively early for him, to be fair, it is pretty much bang on the hour mark. Um, he brings on Jack Hamilton and a couple of minutes at Jack Hamilton's uh, evening possibly the defining turning point of the uh, of the game and I said we did predictions on Thursday night and I, I think I said two each and I was like I think if we'll be 2-0 down and we'll come back and we'll look back on that as like the turning point I think we got a, a very different but I, I quite possibly a turning point moment there uh, from Jack Hamilton. So um, Blair, just uh, yeah, recap it for us and then give us your thoughts on it. Oh, so I was going to say very much the same thing. Um, it's it's big moments in games. And actually, I'm going to go back just a little bit before halftime, just after they score. Middleton gets through one-on-one and Big Kev comes bounding off the line. Um, and and makes that save, and that was another big moment for me in that that first half in particular. Um, of do you know what? Like we're we're here to play. Like 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 let's have it. And then second right half, like Tony Watt got in his face as well after that. That's goal. right. Who, by the way, if I actually watched it back this morning, he apologised to him. Tony did Watt it? did. Yeah, bizarre. 
bizarre. He's a an absolute cretin. Um, <laughs> let's not talk about him. Um, so we get into the second half, like you say, and it's it's they're very much on top. I, I don't think there's anybody going to say anything otherwise. First, certainly first 15, 20 minutes, they were they were on the ascendancy, and then obviously the ball breaks up the left, and the goalie goes out to kind of usher it out of play, but it's not really going that quickly. So Jack Hamilton goes for the ball, and for me, is perfectly entitled to go for that ball, but not like that. It was <laughs> tremendous. And it was it was one of them, because he's, he's obviously, there's something, I don't know what it is, but there's something in Jack Hamilton's thought to himself, nah, nah, this isn't happening. He goes straight through him, and just the way that he slides through him, he ends up kind of back up on his feet, and he's right over the top of Walton, giving him it, like, laughing in his face. It is so good. Sweet. And Walton gets up, and it's Connolly that drags him away. <laughs> Absolute genius. And Walton's giving it the, hold me back, Batman. hold me back. <laughs> Connolly is dragging him away. laughing in his face. And the thing is, I know I get stick for, um, for talking about ice hockey, but it's one of those moments you <laughs> get them in ice hockey games, though, where somebody drops the gloves and has a fight and you think, what's the point? And it's about getting the team up for it, getting the crowd up for it. Just, it just, you could actually feel it in the South stand. Like the energy just went, like it was great. Straight after that, right, there's a singing section on the far right of the stand. But can we just give kudos to to the likes of Gav Finlayson, Martin Granger, the lads, uh, Dario Valenti, etc., the group that are up the back of the South Stand? Because after that, they started getting a few songs on the go, which then yeah. feeds into the group on the far right, starting to actually get a bit more involved. And that was, again, touch on it before, well, wanting to be a dampener, but like, um, group on the far right, got plenty of chance going over time but just a bit more just keep sticking at it and um hopefully it can build naturally um flares on the pitch was a bit shant to see though i'm not a yeah. fan of that like flares in the stand and i get that there was a few bits and bobs that are done left right and center but the club there's a reason that the stewards were over there straight away giving them the, totally. the gestapo treatment as my friend said um like but i that was a turning point and a half though um, Loved it. and very very fun to see and you could tell time. you could tell that Jack Hamilton is in his head straight away is thinking I've got you like mentally I... I've got you like you're you're mine now like the only... complete control of the situation could I, the could I just add something as well there very briefly about Hamilton and I think it's worth remembering Jack Hamilton's still a very young guy he's a very young guy and you go back two or three months and he was very I mean you know he's, he's a big physical lad but he was quite kind of quiet and timid on the pitch yeah that says a lot about how Jack Hamilton, I think, has come on as a player. And it says a lot about where his head is in terms of confidence in his game. Because you see, he's right in there. You know, he goes into the guy, he's up and he's laughing. You know, and he's over at the ref, he's putting his arm around the ref and he's saying, all right, look, yeah, I know, I've got a bit carried away. I'll take the card, I'll take the hell. And he's not, you know, he's not timid and cowering away. And as I say, I think that says a lot about, about where Hamilton is at as a player. And, you know, just the, the confidence that those goals have given him. I spoke about this last night. I actually wonder if, you know, like when Rudden gets picked ahead of him and everybody says the same thing, oh, but Rudden will maybe run a bit a bit more and he'll maybe put himself about a bit more and he'll kind of, he'll noise them up a bit more and he'll he'll leave a tackle in and he'll he'll kind of be a bit more of a thorn in the side. I love the idea. I've used it a few times, but the tiger cage. 
And it's like Jack Hamilton's in the cage and he's like, let me out, let me out of the cage. And he just, oh, it was, I've, honestly, I've watched it about 20 times this morning. It is, it gets better every time. And it's the Walton pretending he's a hard man. Oh, being held You know what it is? It's, it's the, I kick the arse out of this all the time, but the Lemmy sketch where it's uh, just the, the old man and he's in the pub and it's like, oh, we orange juice for the lady. And then he just imagines it, but it's just this guy in his head and he just turns around, oh, you got a reaction out of you? Uh, you've got to give him that one. But that was, that was all about the reaction. Like, that was just for, for a, a, a number of different ways. He's looking to wind up the key part and he gets to keep a book, which is very handy. Um, gets the reaction at the... Um, the stand, his reaction from his teammates as well. But uh, yeah, I did laugh boy when you said that uh, like Zach Rudden has a brings a kind of nasty streak, knowing that we still yeah. had this to come, and it's, totally. it's exactly that. But the thing, the I, the only way I could think to describe it is it was like throughout that Jack Hamilton sort of adopted the body language of like a Cockney white boy, <laughs> just that I've never seen from before. Danny it Dyer. helps that his, like his collar has popped. His up. collar's up. And it's when the, when the referee's booking him, he's still kind of doing that kind of bounce. And he turns away and he's got this big smile on his face and he just kind of folds his collar down, just like, back to business. Like, job done. Put that character back in the box until next week. Let's get back to the football. Um, and it, it, absolutely, that's a, that's a real turning point. Like, quite literally, that the pattern of that second half really changes at that point. And it suddenly becomes a real game again. With the 15 minutes before that, it was kind of attack versus defence. And again, as he done, the United didn't really create a lot in that time. But they very much had the ball at their feet, and we didn't. Um, but that, I just so much credit to to Jack Hamilton for that. It was it was just exactly what we needed at that point. Um, and then I think sort of the game again, though, there's, there's still a little bit kind of bitty. It's a little bit back and forth. And you get kind of another 15 minutes down the line. And um, Ian Murray sort of rolls his big dice. And we talked before the game about the strength on the bench and, and um, the fact that I think Quite simply, we've got better players on the bench than Dundee United do. And the longer the game goes on, if it's still a contest, you can make a difference. And, I mean, boy, did it. Uh, so, 74 minutes gone. And he brings on Dylan Easton, Scott Brown and Aidan Connolly. And at that point, I think you could see Dundee United did not fancy it. Um we get uh, the return of everybody's favourite since championship feature, which is uh, opposition managers taking off their best players. Um, just as uh, five minutes after the Rovers have made their changes, Jim Goodwin decides to remove David Wotherspoon, um, who is Alan Temple in the Courier, um, described it as this kind of quarterback role where he's just dropping off, dropping into the space always available for a pass, never wastes the ball. And he takes him off and puts, is it Cujo that he put on? So just like another sort More of... Mockery. Right. Oh, it was Mockery that he put on. Ah, you're right. Uh, Cujo came on right at the end. And Mockery's just not going to do that for you. He's just, I mean, maybe he's fine, but he's, he's not going to do what Wotherspoon's doing. I mean, we were um, in the stand, there was a break in play, and my mate was saying, he's like, um, Wotherspoon's just pulling the strings out there. And as he turned back to the pitch, they were taking him off. It's like, yeah. oh, right, good. Thanks, Jim. 
And he'd already, he'd already taken off Louis Moult two minutes earlier. Or no, even, sorry, five minutes earlier. He'd taken off Louis Moult and brought in the boy, is it Grieve, that's on the uh, for St Mirren? Yeah, there was, a, was a, six, a six minute period where they just, the substitutions just, there was five substitutions, three for us, two for them, and aye, what a change. That totally just turns the turns the tide of the game. Um, and again, I mean, it's still it's still fairly scrappy, but the Rovers are then getting in and around that Dundee United back line. Um, and we've not talked about the referee too much. It's obviously not always the, the kind of best use of time, but I am going to just take a second. That Scott McMahon, when Connolly goes by him and he just pulls him down as he's breaking into the box, as yeah. clear a yellow card as you'll ever see. And then, um, I don't know. They go right up the pitch and then the same thing happens. <laughs> Their player gets hacked down and then it's it's not a booking. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put my cards on the table here. I, I disagree and I'm I'm gonna lay forward my case for it. As much as I wanted the boy to be sent off, um he doesn't pull him in the slightest. So Connolly gets in, in front of him and does that thing that all good forwards do of getting a step in front of somebody and just slowing down. And because Connolly's a lot smaller than him, he ends up just bundling on, on top of him. His hands are literally not, he's not dragged him to the floor, which is the only reason I don't think he gets booked. It's a foul all day, but I don't think, I personally, I wouldn't have given a booking either. I think had it had he not been booked, he might have got a first booking for it. But that kind of unofficial extra little bit that's needed for a second booking kind of thing, I'm not convinced was there. I actually thought, this goes against everything I believe in, um, I thought the referee had a pretty good night, actually, to be honest. Aye, as much as I would love to really wire involved. in the conspiracy theories, I think that in general he was okay. And yeah. my mate that was next to me Duncan was very vocal well, no, about it. But... I was thinking about because I, I actually thought the same thing this morning. I was thinking, the referee had quite a good game. And I was like, although I did think that boy should have been sent off. Well, and the goal was offside. And there <laughs> might, have been a, might have been a foul for our goal. And then uh, Tony Watt dived twice in a minute, didn't get booked. Then elbowed uh, Liam Dick in the dish, didn't get booked. Um, you know, squared up. To Watson was lucky not to get a red. To be fair, at one point when he, when he choked the boy with his collar. Yeah, I did enjoy. Uh, I don't know. Zach I mean, see the post-match see... interview um, where BBC Scotland said, to him, you were offside for your goal," and he went, "Yeah, but it counted." And it was like, yeah. Yeah. "It's a goal. It's a goal." See. Going back to that offside, I never—I I meant to mention it when we were talking about the goal itself. It's the bit that really annoys me about the offside rule, is that there is no um, advantage for Zach Rudden at that point, because that freeze frame that they show you, where he's effectively his, his right hand side of his body is kind of off offside, and his left side of his body is onside. If you actually watch it, he's moving to his left, so he fully comes onside before he plays the ball. So there is absolutely zero advantage. He's not gained any advantage whatsoever from being in an offside position. So it's one of those really stupid things where like, you know that that we see it all the time with VAR and I'm so glad we don't have it, but your toes offside, who gives a shit? Like, come on, what is the advantage of your your right toe being offside? Like, it's nonsense. And the the free kick, sorry, the, the goal that they score, yeah, maybe it was a foul, but Dick was given as good as he was getting. To be fair, it was a it was Aye. a fifty fifty thing. It could have went either way. Like, I love not having VAR. Mm, definitely, and I, th- I think you're right. The with the, the offside, 
it's like, yeah, I think that that's the mitigation for the linesman, right? Scott, you said yeah. earlier on, he's, he's far away and you've got a lot of moving parts mm -hmm. and it is, Rudden is coming back the way uh, as the defender's yeah. coming in. So you, you can absolutely see how he's how he's not kind of spotted that. Um, I think we've uh, we've probably danced around for uh, for long enough. Um, do you want to talk about the goal? Yes. Right, okay. Good. Um, Robbie, talk us through it then. And then uh, we'll all uh, all give our reactions to this one. I think. Yeah, I put um, I put on Twitter about like the the whole monkey doing the works of Shakespeare is like the theory of <laughs> of uh, how things work. Broken clock being right twice a day, etc. Uh, and that's the case with this podcast. We actually got something that we can be relatively like. Actually, we called that one right. Um, so. Quick throw-in, sorry Jim, hate to send you into tears about that one, but uh, quick throw-in, gets headed out, Scott Brown takes it down, absolutely beautifully just launches it, and as soon as it leaves his boot, you're thinking, oh, this is interesting, um, and then within half a second later, the you see the net rolling, um, the ball just straight into the top corner, absolutely tremendous and I there was just absolute carnage like three Leslie Mabins just appearing <laughs> right now which is why everyone's creasing themselves um, but yeah we'll continue on and progress um, just ridiculous just brilliant absolutely the the scenes at the end after that goal I couldn't believe it. I genuinely couldn't believe that he'd hit it. It was much like Easton up at Tannadice. I struggled to celebrate the goal because it was so good. And it was the same with Scott Brown. Just sheer disbelief. Yeah. I've I didn't struggle to... at all. At no, all. I've managed to... I to absolutely like... lost myself. I've scraped up the back of one of my legs. And I, I've got no, no idea how I did it. I can only did, uh, did you have I... holes in the back of your, your socks or your calves? <laughs> yeah, it feels like I probably should have done, but it's. I, I can only assume it was jumping, like literally jumping up into yeah. the air when that went in. And then I've come down, my right legs come down like the. the Because um, the seats come up. I, I just like. A proper, proper madness. Um, oh, it was great. I just. And then it's like everybody says, oh, you could see, like, for the minutes left, his foot's going in. I didn't think that at all. I was like, oh, he's done really well with that. It's a shame it's going to go over the bar. And uh, just seeing it, I just clip in there. I see where, where we sit so in the south stand. It's that thing of, obviously, everybody sees it from a different angle. But we're really lucky where we sit. We were, he literally hit the ball in almost a straight line towards where we sit. So you could see it was on target. You're right, it looked like it was potentially looping over, but it was one of those where he hit it, and we all went, oh. And then as it got closer, we're going, it's fucking going in. <laughs> like, it was just that moment, because it seemed to take forever to kind of loop over and go in. But I want to give a really special shout-out and a massive thank you to Tony Watt, because without Tony Watt, that goal doesn't happen. It's all Tony Watt's fault, right? So... um. The manager has lined up these these substitutions on the 74th minute, but he's only lined up Easton and Connolly. He's got them stripped. He's got them ready to go. He's making a double substitution. And Tony Watt tries to break Sean Burns' face. And when he breaks his face, he forces him to bring on Captain Fantastic Scott Brown. So without 
Tony Watt, none of this, not one bit of this would have been possible. Um, so thanks, Tony. It's a real, um, a real kicker that Sean Burns got as well. I didn't realise that until this morning. I saw it back. Neither did I. Bad. Um, that doesn't look fun at all. I mean, full weight. Tony he, Watt in your face is going to do that to you, though, isn't it? Yeah. When he went down the tunnel, he was he was kind of had his head down. I thought, like, it's actually, I think he's just trying to see where he's going as much as anything. Yeah. Um, There's another Rocky Four reference in there somewhere. Yeah, definitely. And we didn't even mention the fact that James Brown is in Rocky Four as well. I was going to say that, yeah. Back on that. Coast to coast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, Scott, give me your thoughts on the goal as well, please. I think we've just lost Les. I think Les is gone. <laughs> yeah, I think, it, well, we had three of them, obviously. We've done it two, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, the, it was just one of them ones, and as we've said, I, I just knew it was going in as soon as he's hit it. It was just the perfect dip, the perfect strike, and you're just going, the keeper could stand on the line, and I still don't know if he'll get it. Like, it, just in that space, just how perfect. It's dipped just under the bar, into the back of the net, and you're just going... And then, I mean, I lost my, the, <laughs> myself in here, and I was just like... I can't even imagine what would have been like in the stand. Like it was, everybody's just gone absolutely ballistic. Then you're just seeing, obviously, once the cameras like panning around the whole crowd and just seeing folk absolutely just bedlam in the stand. And then you're going, "There's actually going to be another six minutes here." <laughs> like, oh no! But to be honest, I thought once obviously that goal had gone in, we actually looked the. Uh, like we had dealt with in a good way in terms of they came back at us, but we just dealt with it so easily compared to what we normally would have done. But no, brilliant goal, and it's up there for goal of the season. Ah, categorically, uh, absolutely. Um, Leslie, I think you're back. Uh, give me your thoughts on the goal, please. So it, I, it happened so quickly, I did not know what was actually happening. I was watching it on television. I was watching it on BBC Scotland, and... Like the camera work on BBC Scotland last night, it was like the Bourne ultimatum. You know, it kept cutting and wobbling and going to different things. I was expecting at some point Matt Damon to start walking with purpose across the pitch. So I wasn't quite entirely sure what was happening. And the throne comes in, ball gets cleared, and then Scott Brown gets it. You see, he's going to have a shot. And it was one of those ones where you, you, I, was, I was in the living room, I was standing up, and you kind of just go quiet and like, what the fuck just happened there? And. <laughs> When I watched the replay about this this morning on Wraith TV, you can see he hits it. And of course, there's a big roar when the ball goes in the net. But then there's this kind of sub-roar, this kind of mini-roar, about half a second before, where everybody realises what's about to happen. And it's just brilliant, because you hear this kind of like, oh, yeah! You know, this little kind of... People are realising, oh, that was a really stupid thing to do. That's a waste of possession. Oh, actually, hang on. Maybe this isn't actually so bad. Oh, my God, he scored a Thunderbastard. You know, you had all this happening. And, kind of, and then seeing the guys celebrating, I mean, I'm watching Louis Vaughan jumping around like a wee kid. I mean, he does, he's jumping around on the pitch and like, dancing about. And uh, I mean, just an absolutely terrific goal. Um, you know, like, like we said before, Scott Brown has got that in his locker, even then, to, to do that from, from that distance. And just to think, you know, having a crack and getting it close enough. Oh, what a. What a, what a goal. Um, yeah. One of those ones that makes me really wish I'd actually... I'm dining out on that one. I am dining out on that one. Yeah. I to, Nostradamus uh, here. I wanted to mention Louis Vaughan because his reaction 
and it's it's so worth watching. Obviously, everybody will be watching this goal again and again and again. And on one of your many uh, watches through, just pay attention to Vonnie when they're celebrating. Because when the obviously the players all go together, he kind of drops out of the group. And uh, what he reminds me of is, see, if you go out for like a couple hours and you've left the dog in the house, and then when you come home, <laughs> the dog's just like too excited. It's like the, the we've got a wee spaniel and she has like more more feelings than she can possibly express and she just starts burling around. That's what Vonnie's doing. He's just kind of like all of his thoughts and all of his feelings are just bursting out of him. And it's, enjoy, uh, um, I was the same. It's brilliant to see the pitch side cam and the the three sixty cam are two bits in particular that jump out. The three sixty cam's obviously a new addition, and I love the shoot and then just like half a second later the ball's in the net um but the one i enjoyed was ben's pitch side cam because you see liam dick fly down the wing and just graham meldrum-esque celebrations where he just absolutely tears right in front going mental but uh, that's one that's um special mention to Craig Craggerson is it on uh, the lad that's got this uh, son doing the videos yeah. did the commentary with Rafe TV and they had him in he's caught that perfectly from the stand and he commentates it and it's doing the rounds now it's been done like Jonathan Sutherland and things are all starting to retweet it and it's just the passion and again that's why you go to your local football games isn't it for moments like that sold out crowd at Starks Park we're seeing things that we've never seen before like the the um, roof of the south stand getting hit by a shot never seen that before uh, in my life <laughs> cheers Louie Mo. Um but then you he get took it well like, though to be fair to him aye, credit where it's due he took it well you um, you have moments like that goal that for these younger fans that's even for older fans it's one that you're going to be talking about for years to come and we've had so many moments like that in the past before they come up very rarely and it's a bit um I always think of like going to your local football team. It's like Dire Straits, the song Sultan's a Swing, like where Mark Knopfler walks into a pub and he basically sees a band that are absolutely terrible playing but full of passion about what they're doing and they call themselves the Sultan's a Swing, which is this really grand name, but it's absolutely dross. Now, watching a local football team at this level for a lot of the time can be very difficult. Um, you go through a lot of seasons, like last season, for example. Last season, we just got that one-all draw away at Oco View against Queen's Park with Billy Accio doing uh, front flips. And then you go from that to this. What a change it is, and we're all here for it. I love that Southern Swing reference. That's uh, really apt. That's a really good one. Um, so that let's, let's just move on from the goal for a bit. We can come back to it again, I'm sure we will. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, Definitely. But still, there was still kind of five minutes to go, uh, or six minutes to go, five minutes went up on the board. And for kind of four and a half of those minutes, Rovers did, did pretty well, just actually kind of keeping Dundee United at, at arm's length. But as there always seems to be, there's one big chance. Um, the boy pops up with a header in the box, and it's a huge save from Kevin Dabrowski, who had, a, had an excellent game. Had his usual kind of couple of moments where he, he makes that kind of early decision to commit to a punch when the ball is in the air. That's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, but fundamentally, he deals with them and he's he's, he's not kind of um, he's not giving anything away. And then he's making these big big saves. And um, I think the point that we've reached now, certainly that I have anyway, with Kevin Dubrovsky is 
you kind of expect that from him now. Yeah. Like I wasn't um I wasn't taken by surprise when he made that save at the end. It was very much the way that I felt when we had David McGurn, where it's like I'm glad there. he's there doing that. Yeah. But yeah. like cause because that's what he does. Um, you know, was kind of at the start of the season we were like still obviously this new guy and he made a couple of big saves and it's like, oh, that is a good save in isolation. Whereas now it's just like, ah, he is a good goalie. Mm. And that's what that's what good goalies do. Um Blair, give me your thoughts actually just on on Kevin Dabrowski in this game and, and just generally actually, now that we're uh, we've had him for a fair bit of time. Yeah, I mean I, I was pretty vocal at the beginning about not being comfortable with, with Big Kev. Um, he's so different to what we're used to. The goalies we've had, I've, I've kind of gone through this conversation before, but the goalies we've had have all been pretty steady, um, you know, dependable kind of goalkeepers. He's very much a younger generation um, and is far more athletic than, than what we're used to. Um, there are still moments that my heart skips a beat with him, I must admit, um, but I am... 100% there for it. I love the guy. Um, there's the one in the first half. He takes the back pass and his first touch can only be described as rank rotten um, out to his left-hand side. And then he kind of scoops the ball up the left wing. Um, and I did. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. But um, like you say, the, those saves, if, if nothing else, we've just come to expect them now. Like it's just part and parcel of, of having him in the goal. Um, and he, he did it. He's done it a few times this season. But there was the one. Um, I think it was against the Pars. The was it the first game that we beat them one 0 at home. I think it was the Sam Stanton goal, and then he made a big save shortly after it, or maybe it was the one away from home. But it's that thing of, and again, South Stand. You're you're watching it. He makes that save. There's another celebration. It's another big kind of. Yas moment, like we are just kind of moments away for doing this. Um, my favourite thing about Kev though was he'd, he'd been at the opening of the so the Abbey, um, the Abbots Hall um, Hotel is opened back up again. Dennis O'Connell um, has opened it, and um, so the opening was it was last Friday or something, um, last weekend anyway. Um, and Kev and I think a few of the other players had gone along um, to to the opening of it, and uh, had promised that um, when we beat Dundee United, um, he would rock up and serve beers in his full kit. Um, and there is a photo doing the rounds of him. Um, I think it's uh, Den uh, Jim O'Connell, Dennis's brother, that's put it up. Um, but he's basically behind the bar at back at midnight last night, pulling pints in his full kit. And I just, I love that. Like, I love the way he's ingrained himself into the community and being part of the club. And, I mean, even just the way he embraced the nonsense memorabilia that we're selling with his face on it like he loves it um, and he's class. I also saw I don't know if anybody else saw it this morning there was a tweet for some Dundee United fan saying I'm on the train and the goalie from last night is sitting watching the highlights of himself on BBC <laughs> with the volume up on the train um, and I absolutely I am 100% there for it love the guy this uh, Christina was saying that he was in the McGregor lounge after the game yeah. as well, and they were just <laughs> dancing around him, which is an incredibly funny image as well. Yeah. Just especially when the average age of the McGregor lounge is about one hundred and four. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> the idea of them all dancing—I can imagine Christina having a go. I'm not so sure about Willie and his pals, but uh, maybe. 
don't bring your inter club rivalry onto this podcast, <laughs> please. Um, right, a- any more for any more? Um, for on this this uh, kind of last couple of minutes of this game, I, um, I think just, just to acknowledge, I on you go, oh, Robbie. I'll come in after. Nah, you first. You while, first, Leslie. While I'm here, yeah. While I'm here, <laughs> I just just acknowledge again, Sam Stanton. 87 minutes or whatever. He's been out for two months. And Keith Watson as well. And we talked about touched on him earlier. Two guys that have been out with pretty nasty injuries for a good few months coming in and doing in their first and second games back, respectively, a whole shift. And that, you know, that, that's you know, a whole shift where they didn't put anything wrong. We weren't treating them with a kid glove straight in. You know, and that's a credit to both of them for their rehab and also to the guys behind the scenes for getting them into a condition where they can come straight back in and be super competitive. So just a word for our, our um, returnees. And Ross Matthews too. You know, again, a few, great to see him on the pitch for a few minutes as well after everything. Aye, I think that with Ross Matthews, that was one that I would want to touch on, that it's good to see him back on the pitch. I know Carroll had been quite vocal about it, and I'm sure he wants more time, but he just fitted in perfectly. And he's a consummate professional as well. That's what you can say about Ross Matthews. I know that a lot's been said like about stuff that maybe has happened over the last wee while, and we'll leave that within the club. I feel like there's a sort of duty after last night that you leave that within the club, they sort it out. It's not for us. Everyone's going to speculate. That's human nature. But aye, um, we've fully hoisted ourselves back in in a situation where every one of their fans, the Dundee United fans, and everyone in Scottish football thought, Rafe have fallen apart. We're going to be seven points clear. We can proceed to the title. Mm, let's see how we're going. Uh, they turned into a, a tangerine Morton, basically, at the end of that game. They just pumped balls into the box and just tried to see what stuck. And we handled it very, very well. They lost all their composure. Um, full credit to the defence for, for getting us over the line. And for um, just for for uh, Ian Murray, for how the game was organised, for making the big calls, he's changed the game for the better. Jim Goodwin changed it for the worst. Um, a lot of people will talk about things like luck um, and... Dundee United tweeting about how they didn't assert their dominance. You can ram your dominance. Scott Brown, a beautiful goal, fully deserved. Um, and I just make off that what you will. Yeah, to go back to Jim Goodwin for a second, that was another thing that he said where he was like, oh, once we went 2-1 down, I was d- disappointed that we were just launching it long. So oh, if, if only there was... A person Someone that could change could that. sort of manage that situation better for Dundee United. I don't know, maybe maybe coach them into doing something different and possibly something to look into, Jim. Um I just while we're while we're kind of giving out kind of props to people there, and as you say, Les, you've got uh, Sam Stanton and Keith Watson coming back in and Ross Matthews. Uh, just to go back to James what uh, <coughs> excuse me, James Brown a little bit as well. Obviously, not coming off an injury, but coming into a, a, a brand new side. Um, in his interview, we talked about it on Thursday night. He talked about wanting to kind of defend first and foremost. Um, it's very much his game. I thought he absolutely did that, and I thought he was exactly what we needed last night. Really aggressive defending, as far as kind of fullbacks go. You know, saw that in the first half in particular. Just you know, sticking his head where he got hurt. But um, you could tell, you know, you could Glenn Middleton on that side. He could, he knew straight away he wasn't going to have an easy night, and I don't think he ever really managed to get a couple of kind of low crosses in. But he didn't have a great time. 
Um, Scott, you want to just give me your thoughts on on kind of James Brown on you know on his debut? Yeah, I'd agree. I think he kind of did exactly what he said he was going to do. As you say, like he he didn't stand out, but he didn't do anything wrong. He did just exactly what he needs to do for what. Well, yeah, either when he's got the ball, give it to your midfield, better players, that sort of thing, and then when you've not got the ball, keep it tight be good communication-wise with your centre-half that's next to you and then clear anything that comes your way. And he did exactly everything like that. I mean, it's one of these sort of... and It's only one game bit early, but he, he reminds me of a sort of defender that's going to be like a just a 7 out of 10 every week. He's not going to be anything crazy, but he's going to be nowhere near anything that bad either. He's just going to be consistent every time. And if we can get that for the last, what, 13 games that we've got in the league, it's going to really help us. Because, I mean, look, we've had Ross Mellon up to now, and Ross Mellon has got attributes that probably James Brown doesn't have in terms of whipping a ball into the box and sort of driving up and down that line. But James Brown, as a defender, which he's meant to be first and foremost, is so much better in terms of heading a ball clear. We've actually got a right back that likes the head of a ball, so I'm I'm all for it. And then we've got also just he seems to know when his man's trying to ghost behind him as well, which he was more aware of where his position is. Again, something that Ross Millen I don't think wasn't great at. So I, I just think that overall last night it was an easy pass mark and hopefully it's the same going forward. Yeah, definitely. I thought, I thought he did really, really well. Good communication with him and Josh Mullen as well. You know, it's a, a game where you need your wide... We talked about Callum Smith earlier. You need your wide players picking up. You know, Scott McMahon's always going to want to go beyond. Um, I thought Josh Mullen, we, we talked a fair bit in the early part of the season. <clears throat> he was almost um, disguising his running stats somehow. You know, we kept getting the numbers that he's running further than anyone, but it was a little bit... Well, you know, personally, you know, he weren't necessarily... That wasn't the kind of gut feel, sort of eyeball-wise. And that's a good thing to have the stats to kind of show you where you're wrong. Last night, I thought it was the opposite. Last night, I thought you could see every one of the yards that he was doing. I mean, Josh Mullen never stopped until he went off. It was just um, a really, really good performance. Um, and obviously, I don't think there was any failures there. Yeah. We were talking, uh, walking down the hill after the game last night, talking to my dad, and he was saying, like, you know, if that game had ended in a draw, you'd still have clapped that Rover side off. If 100%. Dundee United had scored a last-minute goal, right. I think you'd still have clapped that Rover side off. Because yeah. all the effort, all the endeavour was there. Um, you know, you take your last-minute winners when you get them. But there was, it was a really good performance. You didn't have the soft underbelly that we've seen before. Yeah, exactly. Um, we'll do a quick round on, on kind of the man of the match. And I suppose just to, to mention anybody we've maybe not given... Um, <laughs> kind of uh, enough praise to up till this point. Vonnie in particular, we've, we've hardly mentioned that a good game. Um, I was going to say, Duncan, sorry, just yeah. very quickly before we move on, just on James Brown, there was like a three, four minute period in that first half where he, he epitomised everything that Scott had said and and I'd been quite critical of, of um, Ross Millen about kind of his ability to header and his ability to defend the way that we needed to defend. But there's the one where he gets McCann the book in. He comes out and he, he basically nicks in in front of McCann and McCann wipes him out. I, I'm sorry, Millen doesn't do that. There's no way Millen puts his foot in for that ball. And then, like you said, the one where he put his head in 
and he got a head knock. It was only about two or three minutes later, but he got a right ding, and Milne's not doing that. Like he just isn't. It's so good to have a a defender that that's got that kind of fire in him. Like Milne's a Milne's a tidy footballer. He really is, and he he plays some really nice stuff. But it's not what we needed. We need that kind of. We talked already about blood and thunder, but we we kind of needed that. Um, so it was nice. It was nice to see that. Sorry, I'll let you carry on. No, no, you you can just you can you can keep going and just give us your um, your man the match, please. Really tough, actually. Um, I, I kind of agreed with Big Kev getting it more for the fact that I felt the team performance was really, really good, but I didn't actually think that there was any one player where you would go, they were absolutely outstanding, head and shoulders above everybody else on the pitch. It was one of those games where nobody particularly stood out for any long periods of time, but that's not a bad thing. Everyone actually, had an standard, 8 out of 10. Yeah, the, the standards were so high across the pitch that Kev's saves probably stood him out. Um, I was really pleased to see Dylan Easton do so well when he came on. Um, he looked far more like the Dylan Easton that was at Tanadice the first time round. Um, he looked hungry. He looked um, he looked well up for it. And he, he always is up for it. But I, we've talked a lot about how he was almost trying too hard at times and things just weren't coming off for him. Um, but there was a couple of moments last night where I thought, yeah, it's, it's getting back towards a kind of a fit and fire in Dylan Easton again, which is a good thing. But yeah, probably Kev would be my man of the match. More, as Robbie says, more because he was the only one who was probably above an 8 out of 10. That's, I was, I thought the same thing. It's, it's always the same when you get the, um, the kind of the Tannoy announcement comes up and immediately you're like, well, who would I have gone? And I think I, I couldn't argue. With Kevin Dabrowski, there was there was no like. Sometimes you you raise a few eyebrows when it, it comes up, yeah. and you wonder how uh, how just how much the, the sponsors just really themselves. want to meet someone. <laughs> yeah, I or they just want to meet somebody. Um, <laughs> I think on balance, I would maybe have maybe have argued for Keith Watson more for just the almost the kind of tone that he sets and the the kind of implicit leadership that you get from him. You know that kind of defence. As we said, very, very solid. And I think he's a huge part of that. And I, I just, I really, really like what you get from him. And there's just Definitely. no messing about. There's no unpredictability. Um, but yeah, certainly, you certainly wouldn't be going to um, try and take Kev's champagne off him to, to make that a case. Um, Les, give me your thoughts on, uh, on Man of the Match and anybody you'd like to give a wee clap to, please. I think I wouldn't disagree with that. Dubrovsky would have been my pick. And Possibly Watson as, as well, but what just yeah in general, what a difference it makes to actually have four defenders playing in defence. Who'd have thought it? You know, who'd have thought that that could actually improve the performances somehow? And 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 as well, I think there's getting back to a situation where we're not trying to get all the attackers on the pitch at once, and that you, you accept that they don't all start the game. Um, yeah. So. As you know, I like my, my references, and I'm going to bring another Tomb Raider reference, and I'm going to go to Tomb Raider 3 this time, and the India levels, where you've got all kinds of wild species, and sometimes like you, you press a button, and then it goes to a cutscene, and then you see something, and one bit you pull a lever, and then it goes to this video of just like tigers getting released, and you don't know where it is, and you don't know what's going to happen. That's how I felt when the subs got made, you know, and then Brown comes on, Easton comes on, Connolly comes on, it was like, okay, that's it, somewhere a tiger cage has been opened, these tigers are coming on the pitch. And sure enough, you know, within a few minutes, we'd started, you know, then it, it turned the game. 
So, you know, just getting that back, getting back to that position where, and I think Murray said it himself, you know, in the, in the interview on BBC, that the Eddie Jones thing, they're not substitutes, they're finishers. You know, you're, you're releasing the Tigers. They're not there on the bench because they're inferior, but it's getting that mindset. And, you know, Murray was saying in, in his interview, you know, he'd, he'd kind of said to the guys, look, you know, because you're not starting doesn't mean you're valued less. You're needed at a different point in the game. So for me, the defender's been back and the tiger cage being back and having that that respect back where you can just say, right, you're going to come on. You're going to make your contribution somewhere down the line. It was just so nice to see that back. 100%. Um, Scott, your, your man of the match thoughts, please. I got excited there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'd probably just give it to Big Kev as well. I mean, I think also that last... Uh, minute save as well, kind of just vindicated it right then, just going, ah, right enough, fair play. <laughs> and I mean, he made two big, big saves in the first half that really kept the game at, uh, well, it was one, it was at 0 0 and one at 1 1. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, without Kev last night, it may, could have been a different result, obviously, but I think he, he, as Blair said earlier today, like, he's everything that we've not had in a keeper. We've had Jamie McDonald, David McGurn, all safe hands, brilliant keepers, but Kev just has that something, that sort of X factor, they would say, about him. Just, but there is things that make you worried at the same time, but that's probably why it makes you love him even more when it's going well. But uh, And the fact he's a great guy as well. But yeah, I think if I was to go somebody slightly different as well off of what people have gone with, I thought for an hour, Zach Rudden was brilliant last night, just in terms of linking the play. He's only been worse for a few weeks, and the partnership he's got with Vaughn was what Hamilton and Vaughn started to get recently, but it's taken them two, four months to get that, and it's taken Rudden and Vaughn three weeks. So I don't know if it's just the style that Rudden is that it suits Vaughn's game or whatever, but the two of them were just cutting passing lanes out and just making Dundee United recycle the ball constantly instead of getting the pass that they want every time. So I thought that Rudden, yeah, it, it, you could tell that he kind of ran his race by the hour mark, but he put in so much in that hour that I thought for, for that time being, I thought he was he was brilliant. And it, as you say, it could have gone to anybody last night and nobody would argue to it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, Robbie, final word on this one uh, yeah. from you, please. I think that across the pitch, we've already touched on that everyone was an eight, pretty much. Everyone performed their duties, so a bit probably cliched to go different on this, but I would actually give the man of the match to Ian Murray. Um, I know that he didn't play, but at the same time, he got all the big calls right and used the squad very well. Um, you've got to remember that a lot of people just assumed that we were going to be going on to another loss and that we'd had, what, three, four, five on the losses on the row. It's all about the perspective because the perspective now completely flips and it changes. It goes from being, oh, we lost three league games, but then we beat United to bring it back to being a point behind them. So the whole mentality shift from last night is, I've said before that the result at Tannadice, if we beat them at Tannadice, which we did, it was going to be seismic. Um, and I feel like it's another huge result. It's all about how we move forward with it. That's games done now, 13 games to go. But credit to Ian Murray because there's been a lot of chat about off the pitch stuff that's happened and what's going on and he's got the comfort of that three year deal um, and 
there could have been a bit of pressure that had they not signed that deal that people might have said, oh, well, should we get rid of him? Should we stick or twist? He's answered a lot of the questions last night by putting out that stable lineup, getting back to basics. What we want to see as fans, we just wanted to see a solid defensive performance and we got that using the players we'd spoken before about how we've got that depth that we can rely on and he used the subs very, very well. There was no sort of signs of as far as I could make what might be potentially perceived to be favouritism because you saw that Ross Matthews came on ahead of Kyle Turner, a player that he's worked with before who's held in very high esteem. And I still think Kyle Turner is going to be a very big player for us at some point. I just don't know when it's going to be yet. I still think he's going to make a big difference. And I feel like he's going to be very similar to Ruddin, that people will maybe question it initially, but then we'll see the longer-term value. So, yeah, huge credit to the management um, for, for getting that result and changing how everyone's perspective is because it's been sorely needed um, and I hope that we can turn a corner and kick on because it has been a sticky patch. Everyone knows that, but it's all about how we move forward and we can hopefully now put that behind us and say, well, we went through our sticky spell and if we can kick on and start winning games again and put that bit more pressure on United because they'll have seen that as the opportunity to go forward. Um, and I touched on that before. I think like their fans almost have a patronising nature to them almost, where if you look at them online, especially, there's, oh, you got the result at Tanadice, but your luck's run out now. And it's almost like, before it's like, yeah, you have done really well to keep up with us. You have done so well. But now the script is that they've lost two games against us and drawn one. Um, they're not invincible. You've seen, I touched on before, but Jim Spence, like before he went, oh, can United go the season unbeaten? Well, we can't because we beat them at, Tan- at Tanadice. Then the Courier are releasing articles about, oh, how does Dundee United's invincible away record stack up compared to the rest of Europe? Now that's gone. Um, Jim Spence was talking about if they beat Air down, how they needed to go down to Air and get a result, which to be fair, they did. That's really going to put the boot and put down Rafe Rover's title challenge for good. Sorry, Jim. But you've not been watching this, have you? What's going on there? It's, we've we've went and we've beaten United and we've hauled it back. So the pressure is all on United. I really want to make that clear. The pressure is 100% on Dundee United because they're absolutely spunking thousands of pounds on players, individual players each week, that they need to be getting out of this league. That's not impetus on us. We would see the playoffs were a good result for us at the start of the season. Ross Matthews said it before the start of the game if you'd got into that position where if we'd won last night, which we have, we go a point behind towards the end of February. So the pressure is all on Dundee United. There is absolutely zero on us. Like, we're just having a great time. So, aye, long may it continue. Yeah, and we we know how well Jim Goodwin copes under pressure, so that'll be nice. (laughs) Um, Right, let's uh, let's just just jump into our our big question for, uh, for this afternoon. So... We're going to go right back to a, an early favourite when we um, when we look at our favourite goals into the north stand. But uh, Scott Brown has obviously added one right to the very top table of uh, of goals into the south end. Um, so I just want to hear about some of your uh, your other favourites. Really, this should be a nice little uh, little whip round uh, kind of memory lane. Um, so um, Scott, let's start with you, please. Um, any that you want to, to kind of throw in? Yeah, uh, I referenced that as soon as the, bo- the ball had hit the back of the net, 
am I just watching on repeat Alan Walker for 2011? Like it was, I've watched it back again this morning. The only difference is he didn't chase the ball. The, the goal is the exact same. And then obviously Alan Walker's one has clipped the bar as it's gone in, but it was just both of them, just the exact same goal was it 12, 13 years on. And they were both 89th minute winners to make it 2-1, which just even makes it more ridiculous. You know what the funnier thing and is it was ones against Dundee, ones against Dundee United. There's like, also the fact that before each of the goals with Walker's one, we take a quick free kick that's like about aye. five yards further forward that then gets lofted in and he hammers it home. With this, it was aye, a quick it's... throw-in that was about five <laughs> yards back, but we gained the advantage from it. So, aye. Nah, both, was... both are superb. And I, I just think, to be honest, I, I do actually think Browns is probably better than, than Alan Walker's, but just the fact that they're so similar that I had to just bring up Alan Walker's goal. Yeah, that was exactly where my mind went as well. But as you say, in the instant after it, it's like, I've seen this story before, and it's a it's a good one. Um, Leslie, your um, your favourite goal into the South Stand, please. In an alternative reality, my favourite goal into the South Stand would have been Kai Fotheringham's fifth against Hamilton a couple of seasons ago. But as we all know, he shat the bed and smashed it off the bar, so that didn't happen. But what what really is my favourite goal is Gregory Taddy against Dunfermline in the, the New Year derby. This is one that I, I didn't see live because I was in Japan at the time getting engaged, but my brother-in-law printed out the match report on sheets of A4 for me and passed it and I saw the photos. And it was only a few days later that I saw the, the video. And, you know, just the ball, the ball gets kind of, kind of bounces forward and Tari does what he does so well, which is just sprint, burst through the two defenders. What we, as we all know, Gregory Tari did not do so well was shoot accurately and on targets. You know, I remember his, his, one of his first games, I think it was a friendly against Norwich, and he did the same thing, where he ran on a ball, knocked it down, burst past two defenders, knocked it around the keeper, and then took an air shot and slipped and fell on his arse. And that was in front of the North Sand. So you're, you, you were thinking, well, he's going to do the same here, but he didn't. He, he knocked it down, and a beautiful composed finish as the whole stand rises behind him. And... Um, to give us a crowning, glorious New Year, New Year Derby victory. So for me, just because of the the, the quality of the finish, the quality of the build-up, and you know, the, 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 the significance of the occasion, I'm going with Gregory Taddy against Dunfermline in the See, New Year Derby. I'm just going to jump into that one. Um, I actually took one of my friends from uni. He was a, a lad from Russia. He passed away, unfortunately, a few years ago um, in an accident. But um, he... he didn't want to go back to Russia for New Year. New Year is actually the bigger celebration in Russia compared to Christmas. So I was like, oh, just come and stay with my family. It'll be fine. So we went out. We went out, got absolutely smashed that New Year. Uh, went out and had a few on, on the first after as well. Um, and I took him along on the game on the second. And I was like, oh, it's a derby. He's never been to a big football game before. Um, the city was in uh, Nizhny Novgorod. Didn't have like a big football team. He came along to that game. And his one comment was, it was exceptionally cold. Um, a Russian complaining about the cold <laughs> at the football. But it was so funny, because when Taddy scored that goal, you just completely... It's the way football is, eh? Just, you know how people get overexcited, even though it's maybe not your team. Um, he was standing on one of the chairs on someone's shoulders, giving it the big big licks. But yeah, just um, a great memory uh, for someone that's... Um, Fondly missed, really, um, and I just funny how life works, and really good guy. So, aye, good laugh. 
And Robbie, if you just um, keep the uh, keep the mic and give us your uh, your favourite goal, please. Right, we're getting to we're getting the the cathartic one firstly, which um, just because you had your house on it, Duncan, uh, and uh, when we were chatting about it, it's Robert Sloan's free kick against Brechin because it's funny. I I had the video up on YouTube of that back um, back before smartphones and stuff like that, and my mate actually shouts. It's never 10 yards about that wall uh, that's there, which is very ironic, but he was the original one for that. Uh, so we might need to get a patent on that and start uh, racking in the, the fines from uh, along the road. But I uh, just a tremendous hit and just so cathartic, as I say, because there was all this expectation that season. We'd done so well to claw back um, after they had celebrated winning the league uh, with 10 games to go at Starks Park. And Jim would absolutely hate that one. And, um, yeah, just a, a, a brilliant finish from a player that we will think the world of. Technical-wise, I'm going with James Cregan. Um, if you get a chance to watch Kev Barreto, he's got the video of that one, uh, as he does with many of them. Um, I'll probably link it into our Twitter uh, after. But what a finish that was, just kneed it down and scalped it into the top. And it was a season that was really good because we'd we'd never really had as many of those technically gifted players, and Craigan was just a real asset to the team and did so well for us in that season, um, and a very very good finish. So, aye, those are my two two picks. Perfect, uh, Blair, your uh, your shout for this, please. Oh man, there's so so many. Um, <clears throat> we we spoke a wee bit. Um, before the show about um, a goal that, like last night's, every time I think of it, gets about five yards further away from the goal. So in my head, um, it's a game from the 2008-2009 season, so the one where we went up. Um, Gary Wales at home at Peterhead. Um, so the the story is he'd, he'd missed a penalty in the game, and it was the only penalty apparently he missed in his entire career. And I love the fact that he was so annoyed at missing that penalty that he hits a shot from, I don't know, like the North Stand car park or something, and it just cannons in. And to be fair, it was Robbie that said earlier on that YouTube is the worst thing that's ever happened to that goal because when you see it, he's not quite as far out as you remember. And the keeper probably should have done a bit better, but it's just one of them off the bar, like just an absolute... Beauty of a goal. It was funny so though. Yeah, Gary Wales. That Gary Wales one. I don't think we'd scored a wonder goal at Starks in a good few years, like at least three oh, or four well years. Done. Like maybe the Blackadder one against Cowden Beef was probably one mm. up the north end. It was like really Scott Crab had a, an absolute belter as well, but we'd not really had one for years. And it was such an unassuming game. Like it was just a yeah. game against Peter Head with their six fans that they bring. Um, we were comfortable. And then he just does that, and you just feel, "Wow, this might be a bit of a special season." So, yeah, that was that was going to be my pick as well. It, it's the one that always springs to mind if I think about like the best goal I've seen live. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing I like about that is that the keeper, as you say, maybe possibly should have done slightly better. But he was a big, giant kind of Polish guy who I think had moved to Peterhead to work on a fishing boat, something like that. And he was like six foot seven, so it's not one of these where you're like, "Oh, you know." just a wee goalie and you've managed to squeeze it in like he sees it the whole way he's got his hands up and somehow Gary Mills has still managed to get it between the boys hands and the bar so it's a, a really um, really aesthetically pleasing goal from a 
I, I really aesthetically pleasing footballer to be fair. Gary was brilliant to watch. Just a, yeah, was. a really, really decent player. Um Right, brilliant. Well listen, I think that, that'll um that'll bring us to the end for uh for today. I think to be honest we could probably record another one of these tomorrow and just talk talk about this game all over again. Um Can we? Or, or maybe just do forty minutes on the goal. Uh so <laughs> As always, thank you to, to everybody for uh, for listening and, and for watching. Um, you may or may not be aware it's uh, it's London Fashion Week this week, and like all the uh, the big labels, we are also kind of showing off our new lines. A couple of new items hit the Etsy shop this morning, uh, so you know absolutely go and have a look there. See what um, Naomi Campbell is going to be in next season, and uh, stick in an order if you'd like to do so. The uh, the link is in the, the show notes. Um, we will be back later in the week. Um, look ahead to the well, the, the all-conquering hero, Scott Brown, versus the failed Fleetwood Town manager, Scott Brown, um, <laughs> when the Rovers head down to Air United next weekend. Uh, so we will see you then. Uh, goodbye.